Hello and welcome to the Doc Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike DeLuke, and it's my mission to help you lead a happier, healthier, and more prosperous life, both personally and professionally. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Doc Podcast. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce today's guest, Mr. Justin Smith, who will be joining me for what is going to be today part one of a two-part series we're going to be doing on personal finance. Justin has been the financial advisor for my wife and I since 2006, when he took a chance on a couple of broke kids from upstate New York <laughs> to uh, become our advisor. Uh, he's not only an amazing and trusted advisor, but he's become a good friend over the years. He's really played a huge role in the ability of Renee and I to reach financial freedom in our mid-40s and has done so much more than just manage our money. He's helped guide us in all of our financial decisions from what paper assets to invest in, to what real estate to buy, to what business opportunities to take advantage of. And he's going to share many of those insights in this two-part series with you. We did decide to break this up into two parts, as I mentioned. Um, we figured we would focus more on the conceptual side of money, working with a financial advisor, including why you even need one. When you do select one, how to select the right financial advisor for you and your family, uh, how to determine what to save and what to spend, how to create a shared vision with your significant other regarding money, and how often you should be revisiting and modifying your financial plan. We're also going to talk about the emotional side of money because both he and I agree that's a very important part of anything that deals with investing or finance. Uh, and we'll kind of tie that into how that relates to specific investing decisions. In the second part, we'll do a deeper dive into the specifics of saving and investing, get a little more granular on that information. Just to tell you a little bit more about Justin, uh, he is the Senior Financial Planner and Chief Investment Strategist at Smith Partners Wealth Management. He's a certified financial analyst and certified financial planner, and his particular areas of expertise are investment management and financial planning for young professionals, corporate executives, and business owners, college planning, and retirement planning. He received his BS in business management with a concentration in finance and minor in economics at North Carolina State University, where he was a university scholar. He has also been the recipient of many awards within his profession, including the Triad Business Journal's 40 Under 40 Award, as well as a Top Leaders Award for Advisors Under 40. He serves on multiple boards on a local and national level and is a true expert in his field. His office is in Greensboro, North Carolina. Before we begin, I also want to make it clear that the content of this episode is for general information purposes only. It is not intended to be specific financial, accounting, or legal advice, nor is it directed towards any one individual or any group of individuals. Please be sure to consult your own financial advisor, CPA, and or attorney for information regarding your specific situation. So with that, with great excitement, I welcome you to the podcast. Welcome, Justin. Thanks, Mike. Um, I wish uh, we send that over to my wife and have her uh, know all the nice things you say about me. I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. Well, I make sure she tunes into this one. Thank you. Uh, on the disclosure front, um, you know, we are an SEC registered 
advisor uh, and they do a good job of making sure that uh, consumers know what they are listening to and know uh, that there are some protections there. And so, you know, my disclosures, uh, we throw them up here, uh, are much the same that, uh, and you'll hear this in, in our time together, that uh, financial advice, financial planning uh, is not done well unless it is directed at one person with a background knowledge of where they've been, what they have, and where they're going. Mm-hmm. And so, um, no offense to podcasts, but uh, you know, if we're taking financial advice directly from podcasts and not throwing it up against our actual lives and getting some professional opinion on that, uh, then we're really not doing ourselves uh, any service. And so uh, this really is for educational purposes. We're not trying to get uh, clients uh, from this. Um, and, you know, we're thankful for uh, getting to know um, Mike and you know, your family. Uh, but, you know, what we'll run through here is really more uh, broad ideas and uh, I think really helpful for folks. No, I, I agree. Thank you for clarifying that as well. And, and yes, we'll have those up on the screen uh, so everybody can see those disclosures from your end as well. Uh, before we dive into some of the content, um, I, I think if uh, you'll uh, allow me the liberty to explain a little bit about the story of how we met and yep. <laughs> the first time that uh, we we actually met face to face, it was at a meeting where I met someone who was using your firm and he strongly recommended that uh, he actually gave me a card to your guys' office. And I was still a resident. I was still a UConn resident. Um, so out in San Francisco, I was there to take my boards. And I just was walking, meeting different people, uh, talking to different vendors, looking at products. And, and I literally, it's actually it was Jerry, uh, who was working with GAC at the time, who's not in business anymore, but he was helping with their booth. And I stopped at the booth because I was one of the companies I was interested in. And we just got chatting. And he was like, hey, what are you doing? And you know, where are you finishing your residency? And we, we we're, we're kind of chatting it up. And he literally, out of nowhere, he just takes his card out. And he's like, call these people. It's the single smartest decision you'll make in your career. And I, mean, I had no idea. It was people in North Carolina. I was in, you know, at this point, Connecticut, but we're going to be practicing in New York. Okay. So I kind of thought about it and, you know, going through the process, which we're going to talk a lot about today of how you vet a financial advisor, how you even figure out. I, mean, I had no money. I didn't, the last thing I was thinking was what to do with that money. I was focused on how to build the practice. Um, and so I said, all right, so I put the card away and, and, not long after, I, I gave you guys a call, and then uh, not long after that, Renee and I hauled ourselves down to uh, to North Carolina and and met with you, and right where you are now, and and the rest is history. And it's been a quite a journey and quite a ride from that from that point. But it is funny how these things happen, and just a random interaction with somebody not even, I wasn't even looking for any financial advice or I mean, an orthodontic colleague. I was just going to be talking about. His, the products at the booth he was he was at, and this is what it turned into. So very very funny story, and maybe I don't know if you want to add anything on your side of it to the day those two two kids <laughs> flew down to, to Greensboro. But no, yeah, I mean it, it's uh, it's been really fun. Uh, you know, uh, I was I was a kid also, uh, and uh, yeah, I think it's been it has been uh, rewarding for us to get to see the life cycle of. Uh, you know, at least the front end of the life cycle of what y'all have been through uh, and walk through that. We get to walk through really the breadth of conversations and decisions. And uh, I don't know, it's what we love to do. Uh, so uh, you guys are, are awesome at it. And, and that's been really, I think, a secret to the success. And that's what I want to really get into today. I think so often 
people have these conversations, podcast format, interview format, advertisement format, where you hear about, oh, a financial advisor, or, you, know, you need to, someone to manage your money or a money manager. And especially for the younger docs coming out, it can be really overwhelming. But even for the older docs, it's, it's, Sometimes it can be they can be a little full of remorse or looking at it like, geez, I wish I had maybe made some different decisions when I was younger. So what is the main reason? Why does someone, especially a professional like a physician or dentist, need a financial advisor? Why not just do it themselves? So, you know, there's a million platforms online now, yeah. ways they could invest themselves. Like, why? What what is the value of having a financial advisor? Yeah. And I would say, you know, uh, I am not one to say that uh, everyone needs one. Uh, it really is about uh, opportunity cost, which mm -hmm. is just a fancy economics term for if I have this allotted uh, time and money mm -hmm. and I have one set of choices uh, that I could partake in, what else could I do with that time or money? And it really is a question of do I, you know, if I'm spending time on my own, financial plan, if I'm spending time uh, knowing tax rates, if I'm spending time knowing investments, and that is how I enjoy spending my time, and I have the time to do it, and I couldn't use my time better in some other way, mm -hmm. then by all means, do it. Uh, and that's not like tongue in cheek. We really, I've run across folks where all of those things check off. Mm -hmm. Like this is a hobby, and they love it. And if they were to offload that control uh, and advice to someone else, it would still be a burden for them because they would be thinking about it all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, it is almost like, you know, um, I don't know. I probably should have asked this ahead of time. Do you uh, mow your own yard uh, currently? Not currently, no. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So uh, I mow my own yard. Uh, I could certainly afford uh, to have someone do it, mm -hmm. but I enjoy doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, I tried to get the 13 year old to do it and she didn't do a great job at it. <laughs> and, like that is my time to put in my headphones and yeah, it is calming for me and I just enjoy it. Yep. And so for me, the opportunity cost is yes, I could pay somebody else to do it, but I actually enjoy doing it. Now that doesn't mean that's always the right choice for me. Mm -hmm. uh, we have had times where, you know, we've been going out of town or just life has been busy. I've you know, asked the kid down the, down the street to mow it and they do an adequate job and that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I think, yeah, that is a simplified version, but I mm -hmm. think it's well worth, yeah, the, the term I use all the time is burden. Like what is the burden that I'm wanting to offload onto mm -hmm. someone else? Yeah. And if there's a burden that I have and someone else can take it, it's really just a cost benefit analysis of, you know, is going through this process, is the cost involved with it worth it to me? Yep. And what does it return to me? You know, I think for professionals, uh, especially for business owners, a lot of that math gets to be, well, what, how could I spend my time? Uh, you know, let's make the assumption that I'm going to do it just as well as a professional, which, you know, we can talk about that. Uh, but, you know, let's assume that, that yes, I will do it. I'll know all the tax code. You know, I will know investments. But is there something else I could do that would give me a higher return on investment? Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I can work on the practice. I can, you know, uh, train up uh, folks in the business. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and that's just on the business side, return on investment. I think yep. the other is uh, really return on life. You know, can I go and 
uh, you know, make it to more, you know, more of my kids' softball and baseball games. Mm-hmm. You know, can I have more uh, leisure time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that is what I would encourage someone to go through is that there is this, uh, there are advisors that can offload burdens that allow someone to do uh, with their time uh, something that is you know more beneficial to them, lines up more uh, with their own uh, values. Yeah, but I'd say it's it's probably more important than it's probably more like uh, when yeah I farm out yeah I don't farm out my my lawn mowing I do farm out any electrical or plumbing projects in my house. Like mm-hmm. I do not have the skills to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it would make me nervous if I was doing it. Like it would be a weight on me if I had done my, my plumbing in my bathroom, like wondering when it's going to blow up. <laughs> yep. Uh, and so, yeah, I farm those out. And, and yes, I might not enjoy the dollars that I pay for it, but for me, it's worth it. I have friends where they're skilled in that area and yeah, they're, they're an IT professional, but they do that. Yeah. And for them, it works. And so it really is a per person and per advisor. Uh, you know, will this advisor offload the burdens that we have, mm-hmm. which is hard to, it's hard to figure out. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And I like that. And as with your approach that I've always liked, it's not an absolute, it's not a black and white. It, if it is a person who feels that they in their particular situation, do need to farm that out. Uh, they need to hire someone to help them with that, and they want assistance with that. Where I really want to begin this is is to, to kind of take someone on a journey of how do they go through this? How can we help them navigate this? Because it can be really tough, and there's so many choices. There's so many things coming at them. There's so many people in their own lives or social media, television, radio telling them, okay, this is what you should do. This is how to do it. What do you think are the main questions that someone should bring to a prospective financial advisor when they meet with them for the first time? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think there are there are some decision points uh, even before they get to an advisor. Okay. And it, it comes back to uh, <clears throat> what are they trying to solve for? What burdens are they trying to offload? Yeah, mm-hmm. a simplified example would be if a if a person feels really comfortable with managing their own investments, whether they have a great 401k with uh, some low cost options that they really like, or um, they have a advisor within a company 401k that where they feel really comfortable with the investment side, but they don't have the knowledge and guidance on the overall financial plan side. Well, that is a different burden and you are looking for a different advisor mm-hmm. uh, than someone who really wants to offload the investment management of their assets and still wants the financial planning component of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think knowing what you're really looking for uh, is uh, really helpful. You know, from there, um, I think one of the first questions I would ask uh, an advisor is, are you a fiduciary? And the follow-up to that is- Can you explain what a fiduciary is? Yeah, for those is, uh, you know, the follow-up is, what does that mean to you? So a fiduciary is, again, you know, fancy legal term for always putting the client's best interest first. Okay. Uh, a fiduciary standard uh, is different from a suitability standard. You know, and is that a certification, Justin, or is it a pledge? What is, what so is it? It's interesting. Um, there are organizations uh, within the financial planning realm mm-hmm. that 
hold their members essentially to a fiduciary standard. We can think you know, CFPs or NAPFA, that is N-A-P-F-A, uh, where they have their members attest that they are going to be fiduciaries. Uh, at one point, uh, the government uh, said, we're going to make sure that all financial advisors are fiduciaries. Yeah, I remember which, something about that. <laughs> there, there's a lot of folks like me where, you know, uh, uh, Smith Partners, we've been a fiduciary uh, firm for you know, our whole existence, 30 something years. And uh, there were a lot of firms like ours who were applauding that. Isn't that great that every advisor in the country is going to be a fiduciary? I didn't view that as such. I felt like if the government were making all advisors be fiduciaries, that would water down mm, what a real fediciary yeah. is. Yep. Uh, because I, I think you just can't legislate that. Mm -hmm. you know, frankly, I think you can have advisors who willingly uh, uphold themselves and are part of organizations that uphold that. Mm -hmm. But I think, frankly, being a fiduciary Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I would want an advisor to sign off and say, yes, I am a fiduciary. There are mm -hmm. companies that don't let their advisors say they are fiduciaries. Um, and so that's a question I would ask. And, yeah, you know, are you a fiduciary? And will you put that in writing? Uh, but more so, what does that mean to you? Mm -hmm. Like, I would want to hear an advisor talk about what being a, a fiduciary really means. And frankly, give me some examples. So, I think a fiduciary, uh, you know, a lot of it comes down to what's an advisor's interest. You know, how are they compensated? Uh, what's where are the conflicts of interest? Uh, mm -hmm. Any advisor that says they don't have any conflicts of interest, I think, isn't realizing that they have one. Mm -hmm. There are always potential conflicts of interest. Uh, and, you know, like for us, we are paid based on the assets that we manage. And so there's a potential conflict of interest mm -hmm. that we would want to manage more assets for right. our clients. Yeah. You know, being a fiduciary <laughs> means that if a client says, I want to go and pay off my house, mm -hmm. that the advisor looks at that in the scope of their overall plan. And if that is a, yeah, you know, to use extreme examples, if that's an 8% mortgage on that house and they're entering retirement, it might really, really make sense to go and pay that off use money that they have saved up that the advisor is getting paid on mm -hmm. and take that out of the accounts and go pay off the house. The advisor would get paid less right? in that scenario, but it should be a no brainer to them if that works in their financial plan mm -hmm. to, to recommend that and, and really even bring that up before a client asks. Um, you know, the converse of that could be, you know, a client has a 2% mortgage and wants to pay it off. Um, the math might not make sense to do that, mm -hmm. but being a, I think being a fiduciary doesn't mean just doing the fiduciary uh, math problem, but it even goes a step further to knowing what is important to a client. If a client mm -hmm. says, I hate having this mortgage, I know it makes sense to pay it off, but I just hate having it. I think being a fiduciary means you still look at their overall plan and see if they can afford to go and pay that off. Yeah. Then if they can, you know, you know, all of their goals and you really try to line it up again, we're, we're dealing with an uncertain future, but if in our best guess, we believe that they can pay off and it'll give them an emotional return on investment, which we'll, you know, talk about later, mm -hmm. that is being a fiduciary in my eyes, uh, encouraging folks to give away money. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's so many ways that I think 
that's what I would want to hear from a from an advisor is, are you a fiduciary? Tell me, tell me what that means and give me examples. And you'll be able to, you'll be able to hear it. You know, somebody says, I think we're fiduciaries. Don't we sign something? <laughs> Run, right. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's, yeah, it's, it's more, I think it's more subjective than objective. So with that, as far as a financial advisor, and now that we're talking about what somebody should be looking for, and we established, you know, want someone who's a fiduciary, um, what questions should they ask? So when they go in, they have that first meeting, they're going to sit down with somebody. I mean, what should they be asking them? Yeah. Uh, so I think there's uh, a couple of good resources uh, out there. One is, and, and uh, we'll send these over uh, so, so you can uh, uh, post them. Yeah, One is uh, NAPFA. It's N-A-P-F-A. Okay. Uh, they're an organization of fee-only uh, advisors. Uh, they have some questions, kind of a checklist that you can take with you. Uh, you could even send it ahead of time if an advisor is willing to you know, fill it out. They have some okay. great questions. It'll just lay out you know, how are they paid? Uh, are they a fiduciary? You know, those sort of things. How do they invest? Uh, so it's a great uh, resource of questionnaires. Um, I also really like uh, there's a, a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. His name is uh, Jason Zweig, and he wrote a, a post uh, a number of years ago about 19 questions to ask a financial advisor. Mm -hmm. And he has some of his hoped for uh, responses. You know, we actually did a blog post. Uh, about it with our responses to it. Uh, but I really like uh, his questions to ask. Uh, I, but I think more so, I would really pay attention to less of the answers and more of how they answer them. So, yeah, I would want, you know, if it were me, I would ask an advisor, hey, explain to me Roth IRAs versus traditional IRAs and explain to me Roth conversions. When would I want to do that? Mm -hmm. you, know, you might not know the answer, but there's going to be so many questions like that <clears throat> where you're not going to know the answer. You just read some article somewhere. Yep. And it is so important that an advisor can explain this to you in a way that you can understand it mm -hmm. in a way that you can say, okay, well, I had this burden. I didn't know this thing. And either they explained it in a way that I actually understand it, or they explained it in a way that I know they understand it mm -hmm. and they can take care of it. Uh, and so, yeah, that that sort of question, you know, or, you know, why would I own this much in you know, foreign uh, stock assets or this much in U.S., you know, or explain to me capital gains versus dividends versus earned income. I know they sound like CPA questions, but they really should be advisor uh, okay. questions also. Yep. Uh, yeah. Explain to me when you would make, yeah, if this is your allocation recommendation for me, you know, this much stocks, bonds, foreign, yeah, that. Uh, explain to me when that would change. Why mm -hmm. would that change? You know, what would happen if the market went up? 30%, what would happen if it went down? What would you do? And again, you're not looking for the right answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you are. Like, they don't explain Roths well. Uh, if they get the wrong answer, that's a red flag. But I think more of what you're looking for is how do they explain it? Do they make sure you understand it? Or do they mm -hmm. just give you the answer and say, all right, on to the next question? Mm -hmm. Uh, because this or dismiss again, it altogether, which would clearly yeah, be a warning. Oh no, yeah, don't don't worry about Ross. Yeah, we'll take right, care of it. Right, that, don't get ahead of yourself here. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I think listening for how do they explain it. And I think different clients have a different need. You know, we have engineer clients 
that they want to know, they don't want me to just say that the 22% bracket is at approximately this level. They want to know that I know it to the dollar. Okay. Those are the and clients that have, would quiz me on the metallurgy of the wires that I was using in, in the mouth. Same exact thing. And it's like, that's it, right. Same, and, yep. and that is their burden. Yep. Right. Completely. You know I mean? like completely. That's, that's why I always took the time to, to give them an answer because that, that is important to them. That's important to them. And so they need to know that answer and they need to, they need to know why you answer that way. We have, you know, some, some clients that they could not care less, mm -hmm. but I would say, you know, if you're one of those, I would still, you know, you are still going to run into things that you need explanation for. Mm -hmm. And how does this person do it? Do they look at, you know, again, both client A and client B, are they explaining mm -hmm. it to both? Or are they just explaining it to the income earner? Or, yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah. yeah so one, that, one point would be don't do this by phone at, at the very least zoom, but in, in person would be ideal. Yeah. I mean, I think you can have an introductory phone call to see, you know, how does this person invest and you know, things like that. You know, we don't need to necessarily waste our time, but a lot of that is probably available on somebody's website. Right. But yes, I think being, being available and yeah, in the, in the case of couples, I have plenty of folks say, well, you know, my husband will just, he'll, he'll join us sometime later. Or my wife will just join us sometime mm -hmm. later. I say no, yeah. uh, because that, yeah. you know, in my experience, that doesn't work great. Right. Uh, and so having both people at the table, uh, but it's really more about how do they answer a question? How do they, you know, how do they talk about uh, all these components of it is more important than the actual answer. I do want them to know it, uh, know the answers to some of these things. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, is this the, you know, really what you're getting to is, is this the type of person that I can pick up the phone and have a conversation with mm -hmm. often? And is this the type of person that, you know, I could sit across the table with Coming out of that, I'm going to feel known and I'm going to feel heard mm -hmm. and I'm going to feel like they're going to carry the ball from here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what we're really looking for in asking those questions. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you. That helps a lot because I know I didn't know um, the first thing to ask and you, you're intimidated by it. You maybe you just don't really know what you don't know. And so I think that's great to at least give a, a few tips of things that, that even if the people listening don't know some of the things you just said, go look it up and do a little research on it, get a little background and then be able to go in and bring that with you. So thank you. And what would be maybe some of those other warning signs that yeah. not being a fiduciary, anything else that if they meet with somebody, if uh, you know, if, I'm just throwing out there. I don't know yeah. if this is the case, but if they're pushing purchasing insurance or something, are there things like that 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 yeah. should, are warning signs, or is all yeah, that okay? I, mean, again, I think we are called what we are what is called a fee only advisor, which is an awful marketing term. Whoever came up with it wasn't thinking marketing. <laughs> first, but uh, fee only is a term that is used to describe firms where they're only paid directly by their clients. They're not paid from insurance companies or from particular mutual funds. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, putting clients in certain mutual funds might get the advisor paid more, uh, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Is that like with like load fees? Like they have, yeah. okay. Um, or yeah, selling annuities. Um, there's a lot of fee-only advisors that say all of those things are bad, and I don't believe that, actually. Um, insurance plays a role uh, in, in nearly everybody's plan. Mm -hmm. uh, annuities can play a role in people's plans. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certain mutual funds could play a role in people's plans. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, sometimes 
those arrangements can put the advisor on a on the opposite side of the table uh, from the client. But yeah, as I said before, I, I know you know there's there's a potential that a fee only advisor could also be on the opposite side of a client where mm-hmm. they could say, "Well, I, you need to save that money. You know, you need to grow your investment accounts." Right. And right. So, yeah, but that's not you know often that aligns with what clients are wanting to do. Often growing assets uh, aligns, but you know there's a potential conflict of interest that you know maybe an advisor might put clients in more aggressive investments than they should, hoping they will grow. And so, yeah, I I think if I were doing general kind of red flags, um, again, I think it's more about uh, subjective Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, rather than they have to be uh, fee only. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm biased. I I think that is a good model, uh, but it's really more about the person and the organization and how they operate within there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think it's a yeah the organization being a fiduciary uh, goes a long way to allowing their advisors to be fiduciaries. Yeah, okay. if, a, if an organization is 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 blatantly not a fiduciary, then it's going to be hard for a fiduciary minded or hearted uh, advisor to swim upstream against that. Okay. Um, I think um, I would want you know warning signs for me are an advisor that doesn't present options for a client, uh, you know, whenever we have a client that you know, has a dollar amount and they want to talk about what do they do with it, uh, I am, uh, we try to be really intentional about presenting them options and yep. say, you know, it's kind of the opportunity cost. Well, you could do this with it. Sure. Could save in emergency funds. We could invest it. We could retire debt. We could give it away. Yeah. I think an advisor that, um, there's that old saying, you know, give a boy a hammer and everything he sees is a nail. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there are advisors that view um, whether it's whole life insurance or if it's just a stock investment account or whether it's an annuity, they view that at like that's their only hammer. And mm-hmm. so every problem they see is a nail yeah. uh, where I would want them to present options. You know, think about I think I would want mm-hmm. your red flags for me or if a advisor doesn't. Uh, educate uh, a client. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't want, I'm not putting the burden on clients to understand marginal tax rates, mm-hmm. but I want an advisor who educates on that, you know, really tries their best to make clients understand what they're doing and why they would do it. I think that goes to offloading the burden. An advisor that um, mm-hmm. doesn't explain things well and it's kind of a black box. Um, I think that doesn't allow the client to really offload the burden mm-hmm. because they don't understand it. Yeah. Um, and then I think being really clear with conflicts of interest, like I would ask, what are your conflicts of interest or what are your potential conflicts of interest? Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, I think any, I think any advisor worth their salt would say, yes, I have a potential conflict of interest um, because I can't think of one that doesn't. Yeah, even one that just charges hourly or one that just charges yeah a, a flat fee. I think yeah, even they have some potential conflict of interest. Yeah, just to keep yeah keep those hours coming or yeah, yeah keep right. that, keep that client. So yeah, I think there's always a potential there, and I would want I would want an advisor to be forthcoming with that and not. Uh, no, 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 we don't have any of that. You know, that sort of thing's red flags to me more than they always use this product. I mean, yeah, we could get into it, but I, 
there are some products and things that uh, are red flags to me, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't purport to blanket that uh, mm-hmm. more than if an advisor acts like this or talks like this, you know, those are the red flags that I would have come off. Okay, great. That's awesome information. Thank you. Um, if someone chooses wrong, realizes it year, two years, five years down the road, how hard is it to make that yeah. switch? Is it tough? Yeah. I mean, you've got a lot of money tied up. They've obviously invested it in places. I mean, what just a, you don't have to get in, into the weeds on that, but logistically, someone's out there listening to this and they just got that feeling and they're going, I just don't think I'm at the right place right now. Just maybe spend a minute or two just explaining what that's like to change. Yeah. I mean, that depends on, um, are we talking about uh, my clients or somebody else's? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. No, I, again, I think any, any advisor that is a fiduciary and wants what is best for the client. Um, if a client says, this is not the best option for me. Mm-hmm. They should celebrate that. Yeah, the client has found what is a better fit. Mm-hmm. They should really celebrate that. They should be yep. putting the client's best interest ahead of their own. Yep. Now, yeah, I think I have some caveats to that. That I would want someone to think about why they would switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that if they are moving because. Um, because it's investment performance, mm-hmm. uh, I would want them to consider, is that the market's fault? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is the way that the advisor, uh, have they set me up in what is historically an appropriate uh, asset allocation? Are they using funds that align with what we're about? You know, are they are they using low cost funds or if they're using high cost funds, are they ones that, yeah, I feel confident about uh, how they're actively managing those. And is it just bad timing with the market mm-hmm. or is it a deviation from how I want my investments managed? Mm-hmm. Uh, is Philosophical it just, versus just numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it, yeah, somebody might be um, wanting to invest in this um, certain way that, you know, maybe they're, um, Maybe they're wanting to be invested in socially responsible funds and the advisor says, I'm just not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Then I think that could be a misalignment mm-hmm. of, you know, they're not able to carry that burden. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wouldn't want it to be, well, my my brother-in-law said his advisor gets some great returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I would want somebody to really dive into why. You know, are they making big swinging bets mm-hmm. on where the market's going to go and how long can they keep that up? Um, you know, we, we jokingly say we're going to, uh, uh, somebody should create an investment account just based on brother in law stock recommendations because they've never been wrong. Uh, <laughs> but um, I haven't seen one yet. Uh, so I would be, I would be a little bit hesitant to, make that switch if it's chasing performance. Mm -hmm. Now, if it is about an advisor doesn't communicate with me or they won't get into the scope of planning that's important to me Mm -hmm. uh, or they don't explain things in a way that is helpful to me or uh, when we're in a meeting, they only talk to me and not my spouse Mm -hmm. or I mean, whatever it is, I think if it is important to the client and um, you're finding that elsewhere, will offload more of that burden, will get them closer to where to where they want to be financially, then mm-hmm. yes, uh, they should definitely entertain. I, I would encourage folks, if they're going to entertain 
going somewhere else, then they should interview you know, a handful of folks or a few mm-hmm. folks. I think the disruption of doing this you know, every couple of years or something like that, um, you know, works against folks. Like really try to make this choice for, I could, I could be with this person for the next you know, decade, but you don't have to be. I think a good advisor wants to continually lift burdens from clients. And yeah, if that's not happening, that should, that should not sit well with the, with the advisor either. You know, the, the, there are some sticky products uh, and investments that advisors can have clients in to make some of those transitions uh, harder, Mm -hmm. uh, frankly, you know, some, some surrender charge periods on uh, insurance or annuity products, Mm -hmm. uh, things like that. Um, That's, I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, but yeah, that that sort of thing, I, I think also shouldn't be the reason why we stick around. Uh, I'd be uh, I'd regret it if I didn't say it. Yeah, I think a lot of advisors, yeah, there's a great uh, advisor that uh, wrote a post about, um, you know, be uh, we, we should be a little bit hesitant about the nice guy at church is what he calls him, the nice financial advisor at church. Um, yeah, I think uh, I wouldn't want someone to make. Uh, a financial decision like this and be in a relationship. I do think it's a relationship where they can't be honest, uh, where they can't say things like, Hey, this is not meeting my expectations here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I do see folks that, you know, hire their cousin or, you know, uh, hire the nice guy at church and then they feel stuck there. And Mm -hmm. so I would, you know, just encourage folks, if you're going to enter into that relationship, if it, turns sideways or just doesn't meet, you know, maybe your expanding needs, maybe it was fine for a time, but it doesn't meet your expanding needs, then make sure you don't enter that relationship unless you're willing to, you know, go to the next, you know, if I'm not willing to fire my kid from um, mowing the yard, then I shouldn't hire them. Yeah. Uh, don't worry. I was, I was happy to not have her mow the yard anymore. So. <laughs> she was she didn't take, as well. she didn't take offense to that. No. Either. Yeah. No. Um, on that note, and you touched on it a little bit before and kind of drifting that way now in terms of the role that emotions play in this, right? And it, it, it plays a role in selecting someone, aligning philosophically with a financial advisor. It also plays a really big role in how we advise and how we work with our financial advisor and how we work with our significant other and or other family members. So for better or for worse, we all have our own experiences. We all come into relationships and meetings with a financial advisor with very different pasts and different histories, different experiences. So if you could talk a little bit about the emotional side of investing, and I don't mean emotional side of, you know, what it's traditionally labeled as in like, oh, when the market's up, you want to invest more. When it's down, you want, you know, you want to get out. I mean, the emotional side of approaching, taking your your hard-earned dollars, giving them over to a financial advisor to make certain investments, and then the emotional side of making that decision with a significant other and trying to align philosophically um, and navigate, how do you help your clients navigate what can be extremely turbulent waters in those arenas? Yeah. I mean, some of this comes back to the opportunity cost. Uh, The, there is a, there's always a financial dollar opportunity cost with uh, decisions, you know, whether you know, we invest in this or, or put dollars in this account or in this investment. Um, there's always a bit of a, you know, we should put it on a napkin or Excel spreadsheet, the return on investment and the risks associated with those. But I think what often gets ignored 
uh, is the emotional return on investment. Mm -hmm. And uh, we could also call it behavioral return on investment. Mm -hmm. Um, The, you know, we can make choices, you know, just like we were talking earlier about paying down a house. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, we, you know, we have walked through with, with clients where they have this emotional, uh, emotional weight, or yeah, I almost could sometimes call it an emotional interest rate mm-hmm. where yes, you know, the mortgage might look like it's at two and a half percent on paper, but yeah, I'm 65. I've retired. It feels like I don't own my house every day that I walk out of it. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, for, for one person, there might be an emotional return, you know, an emotional interest rate on yep. top of that two and a half percent. Yep. You know, their parents never paid off their house. They, you know, have always felt like, you know, they were, they were almost, um, you know, uh, uh, bankrupt or, you know, whatever their history is, whatever their reason for it. I just felt like if they have a mortgage, they can never be free yeah. financially, right? They just yes. always tied yeah. down by that. Yeah. Right. That's a, we should tack that on to that two and a half percent. Right. And that might be 10%. Right. And you know, if we look at the rest of their financial picture and we pretended like the mortgage was actually 10%, would that make us make a different financial choice? Mm-hmm. And if so, we should wait it. All too often, we land on one side or the other of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, sometimes we only look at the emotional side and don't look at the financial side. And I don't think that's healthy either. Uh, and so almost always when we have conversations with folks, we say, all right, well, here's the here's the Excel spreadsheet. Like, here's what the financial plan says. Here's mm-hmm. what the spreadsheet says. But then also the emotional behavioral side of of it should get a place at the table. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, that's a harder part of it to, to quantify. Sure. Yeah. But we need to recognize it and then, you know, go from there. So, you know, great example. And and we can be financially inefficient if what it does for us is give us a behavioral or emotional return. Um, when we went down to you know Disney, we uh, prepaid uh, for the meal plan there, and mm-hmm. that is not like a prepayment that they that looks like it will make things cheaper. Uh, it's yeah. really a prepayment for ease. You yeah, know, you, you you overpay yeah. uh, for what you would have. You know, if you bought all the same meals, you you uh, sure yeah you're kind of prepaying for it, but really you're overpaying because it's probably more food than you might necessarily need. But when we were down there, I was the nicest dad in all of Disney. You know, all the other dads were saying, hey, you better finish up that chicken nugget or uh, y'all have to, sh- you know, you two kids have to share a drink. And they were grumpy mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, they didn't like spending the, the money at that point. Right, right. But for us, we prepaid it. We probably overpaid. Yep. But I was so nice that whole week. And, you know, some of this is like, is knowing yourself. Yep. Yeah. Knowing myself and where I've come from, what can I do in my financial life to set me up to be the person I want to be? Mm -hmm. Like, I want to be the nice dad at Disney. Uh, And so, you know, recognizing that now, that's not why we made that choice. We just probably did it on a whim. Uh, But yeah, coming out of it, I saw, gosh, that really set me up to enjoy my time. I need to do more things like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and so I think that goes to, you know, not just, 
you know, how we're setting up our investment accounts, but it goes to yeah, like how we think about taxes, how we think about our estate plan. Like mm-hmm. we need to, there is an emotional choice in, uh, in all of these, a behavioral choice mm-hmm. in there. And let's don't ignore it. Let's also don't let that be the only factor that comes into play. Yeah. But let's give it a seat at the table. Yeah. Um, in terms of couples, um, you know, uh, I think that comes back to knowing yourself, like know you as best you can, know mm-hmm. your history, uh, know what's important to you individually mm-hmm. and you as a couple. And, you know, if you have kids, a family, um, and I think being being gracious, frankly, uh, to say, yeah, I I have this history. You know, I have a history where I came from, uh, yeah, family that had more flexibility in spending than my wife did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came from a family that yeah had more financial knowledge, uh, and so I need to know that that's the place that I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. My wife is coming from a different place, and so when we talk about our budget, you know, sometimes we have to you know, inflate areas of the budget that she really hates spending in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I remember we were talking about, um, you know, when we had young kids uh, having a budget uh, allotment for outside babysitters to come in and help and, you know, give her a break. Well, she hated spending that money. Well, what we had to do was kind of pad that area of the budget so that she would still spend about half of it and she <laughs> felt fine with it. Whereas, you know, if we, you know, we kind of sandbag. Right, right. Yep. Yep. Uh, but like know yourself and know where, you know, where are you going to be that grumpy dad at Disney mm-hmm. and then try to, you know, work yourself uh, the other way. It sounds like a lot uh, of it's communicate communication as well. I mean, it is. Well, and I think the, the other thing is that, um, you know, how, how I spend my time and how I spend my money, you know, how my wife spends her time and, you know, spends, spends her money. Yeah, our our time and our money only needs to make sense to two people, and that is us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to make sense to our neighbors. Mm-hmm. It Great doesn't point. need to make mm-hmm. sense to our friends. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to. It sure doesn't need to make sense to you know any of those brother in laws we talk about who give out the stock tips. Mm-hmm. It only needs to make sense to us. Yeah. And I think there's a lot in this you know, in this kind of financial culture of putting other people's values you know, on you. You mm-hmm. you can never go to Starbucks that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, if that is where I have my my time to read and that's where my community is and those are my people and that's where I recharge. Yeah. Who is somebody to tell me that I'm never going to retire because I go to Starbucks? Mm -hmm. uh, every Yeah. If that checks off something for me and yeah, it it makes sense, then uh, it makes sense for for our family and it doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. Um, I love Can you tell us? I love the story you've told me and Renee and I before about um, the family with the, was it the food budget? What was it exactly? Oh man, yes. That was, that was a great example days, was... of, of a family <laughs> right. that communicated their values and a, right. a line item that maybe didn't make much sense on paper, right. but for their emotional well-being and behavioral patterns of their family, it, it made perfect sense. Right. Yeah. I was probably, it was probably uh, back when I was uh a lot younger and or I know when I was a lot younger, uh, but uh, it was probably uh, back when we met y'all for the first time. But I was yeah in my 20s and sitting across the table. Yeah, I was on this shoestring budget. Right. And I was sitting across the table from a, a couple and we were going through what they spend in certain areas. And we got to their uh, spending on dining out and my my eyes must have you know bugged out and my jaw dropped. 
and the words out of my mouth, I regret to say it, were, how are y'all spending this much on dining out? And um, the, the wife you know, started to tear up. And she said, well, that is the only time that our teenagers will talk to us. And there was silence in the room. And I realized that I had a lot of learning uh, to do. And yeah, now I was the jerk. Uh, and, you know, what it what it set in my mind was that we had this line item that was called dining out. And what we actually ended up doing was, you know, changing that line item to uh, being two. You know, one was dining out that was, you know, husband goes out to lunch or wife goes out with, you know, friends. That's dining out, sure. Mm-hmm. For these family meals, we called it family time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for them, family time was really important. Like that's the only time the kids uh, wouldn't be on their phones and wouldn't be distracted. That's the only time that they would actually talk as a family. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't dining out. Sure, they had food at the table and they were at a restaurant, but that's not what it was. Mm-hmm. It was family. Time. It was connecting. And that's what their family was about. And so, yeah, I think if we can rewire. You know, the, the other term that I call that is a first scoop of ice cream dollars. You know, like that is my kids, whenever we go to the local ice cream shop, they almost always ask for two scoops or three scoops. We've never gotten it. We've always, always only gotten one because it's giant anyway, Mm -hmm. and they rarely finish it. But, you know, if I get three scoops of ice cream, the first one tastes great. Mm -hmm. The second one, not as great. The third one might make me feel a little bit sick. Uh, The fancy economics term for that is diminishing marginal return. You know, each scoop tastes a little uh, less good than mm-hmm. the one before. I really want, especially in couples, I think it is important to lay out what are your first scoop of ice cream dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, for my wife That's and great. I, uh, yeah, it is giving away dollars. Uh, it is saving for education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is saving for retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, you know, um, you know, we, we have a list of things, you know, it's family time together. Um, it is sports for the kids. You know, they enjoy it. We mm-hmm. enjoy going. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, those are our first scoop of ice cream dollars. Mm-hmm. But you know, like when we go to the ice cream store, uh, kid three, he gets Cookie Monster, which is just cookies and cream, but it's dyed blue. And I don't know what they put in that, but it never comes off of your face. <laughs> and you couldn't pay me to get that. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't take right. it if they if they offered it for free. That is his first scoop of ice cream. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be mine. Yeah. And so you know how the Duluth family sets up their first scoops can be and should be probably different than how the Smiths do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I've, I have seen some of that key in, in couples is being really clear about these are my first scoop of ice cream dollars mm-hmm. uh, and these are yours. And yeah, some of this is caring about you know, what the other person's is, you know, for Millie, she you know, loves to garden. Uh, she loves to do landscaping. I like, I don't notice when there's new bushes and trees and flowers in the yard. <laughs> I appreciate it. You know, I love it. Yeah. But I, like, I don't notice a new one, but yeah. she loves that. That's her time. Like she goes out in the garden. And so those are her first, first scoop of ice cream dollars. And I think when we put it in some of those terms, then I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yep. You know, where we can't, like if my first scoop of ice cream dollars were, um, you know, were uh, golf, but it was golf. Yeah, from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m. every Saturday and Sunday, uh, there'd probably be a little bit of a disagreement in our house mm-hmm. <laughs> where Millie would say, yeah, I, I understand you appreciate that, but also I like to have a husband around on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for some families, though, 
like that works for them. Right. And so I think it is about figuring out, you know, where are your first scoop of ice cream? And then, you know, just logistically how we do dollars doesn't have to make sense to anybody else. You know, mm-hmm. we have couples where they just view it all as theirs. You know, one might have an IRA that's larger, one might have it that's smaller, but but they you know, view it all as one pool. Mm-hmm. They view they have one checking account, you know, that sort of thing. And for other couples, that just wouldn't work. And recognizing that what works for you should work for you. And so we have couples where, you know, we really try to, you know, keep some of those even and that makes marital bliss. And we have some separate but transparent uh, checking and savings accounts. Uh, And so I think uh, just knowing yourself and knowing where where am I going to get hung up? You know, where am I going to be that grumpy dad at Disney? And Mm -hmm. then you try to navigate around that. That analogy is great. And um it's that so often we're tempted by the second scoop and the third scoop. And I think those are those temptations that distract us. And one of the things I do with this platform, when I teach with residents, I'm always trying to explain the importance of developing that vision because it's not the same for everybody. Not everyone has the same vision. And if you, it's hard enough to develop your own individual vision, especially when it comes to finance. But when you have now a significant other, and your husband or wife has a maybe different vision, and then you add in all those experiences that we were just talking about, I think that's where people get lost and just think, well, let's just do three scoops of ice cream because then we've got, you know, we can get three different flavors and I can get my flavor, you get your flavor, and we have this, and then you're left with not wanting the other person's scoop and you feel sick and nauseous after it and you just spent more on three scoops when you really could have done one if you understood it. Yeah. Intentional, intentional spending, intentional goals goes a long way. Yeah. Um, With intentional spending, the whole spending versus saving debate. So a lot, I mean, this is kind of like right at the heart of what a lot of the financial gurus out there talk about. It's, it's uh, the, probably the most common thing that's talked about is, you know, stay within your means or, or how much you should spend, how much you should save. Do you feel there are general rules or guidelines on that? And what is your feeling on sort of how people should approach the thought of spending versus saving? And how does it change as over time? Yeah, I'll give you a rule uh, right after I say that you shouldn't use rules. So let me talk about why you shouldn't (laughs) use rules. And then fine, I'll give you one. Um, Because, I mean, as you can tell from what we've been talking about, you know, personal financial plans should be personal. And they should be driven from the values of the people involved in them. And they are so different. You know, we get to help out uh, you know, a good number of folks and I get to know their stories. And yes, like we might have retirement dates from couple A and couple B that line up about the same. Uh, but, you know, people are so different that these, you know, back of the envelope, rule of thumb, uh, you know, proportions of spending versus saving, mm. uh, I think are a, are a Band-Aid to uh, a problem that needs to be solved really from the back forward, not, you know, setting it out here mm-hmm. and then hoping that works out uh, for our plans. Okay. So, you know, what I say, you know, back forward is I think a financial plan should start with the end date, right? It should start with, you know, let's lay out our life expectancy. Uh, and what a fun way to start, right? right. Uh, but everybody's um, what everybody wants to begin with, right? Yeah, I'm fun at parties. Uh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, we say, all right, we think you're going to live in your mid 90s. What does 
what does that time period look like for you? Do we know? And, and often my questions are, who do you want to be when you grow up? I ask that of 80-year-olds. I ask that of 30-year-olds. Mm -hmm. uh, who do you want to be? And I am looking for an actual name. Uh, I want to say, are there people that you see in life? Now, you don't know all of their story. Mm -hmm. uh, they might be that grumpy dad at home all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But there are attributes of this person's life that I know, you know, not just somebody on like TikTok or something, Instagram, but there's attributes of this person's life that I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. And I like that. You have a client that said, hey, you know, I got this Uncle Alan. And what I like about his life, I want to be Uncle Alan when I grow up. And I said, tell me about Uncle Alan. And Uncle Alan is the most available person I think I've ever heard of where, you know, he had a he had a friend or maybe it was a family member that that was rebuilding something in his house. And Uncle Alan, like essentially moved there for a couple of months mm -hmm. to live with them and help on this project. And what what our client was saying was not that he wanted to go help projects. Right. Mm -hmm. What he liked was Uncle Alan's flexibility in his retirement years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and sadly, like this is where the behavioral emotional side gets translated down into the numbers. OK, mm -hmm. well, if we want extreme flexibility at this age, then we can back up from there uh, and see what life looks like. I mean, this is the story in, in my own life when I was 25 or so, you know, um, newly married. We didn't have any kids yet. I met a, a guy in town who he said, all right, you know, I have set up my uh, business to where, you know, he's working, he was working 20, 30 hours in a, a high paying business where he could have worked more and made more money. Mm -hmm. But he said, I'm, I'm working 20, 30 hours a week, making less than I could. And what I'm doing with the other 10 to 20 hours in my week is he was doing some ministry, uh, kind of some lay ministry to some guys, mentoring some guys, and he was available to his family. Like those were his big things. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm available to my family and I'm available to some to, to some folks that I want to mentor. And I mean, a light bulb just went off with me. And so I said, well, I would like to do that. Now, I'm not as extreme on like the 20 hours, but uh, I have a whole lot of flexibility. You know, my calendar's behind me. I, I take off a lot of days. Um and I spend that with my family. I do. I also, you know, mentor some folks. Uh, my wife and I mentor some couples, uh, and I'm available uh, to some organizations that I'm passionate about, uh, and I'm available to the kids. Take mm -hmm. them to school, pick them up, take them to softball, take them to uh, baseball. Um, yeah, I, I take off a lot of Fridays uh, in the summertime. Mm -hmm. uh, most all of them, uh, and. You know, so having this intentionality, like if I just said, well, here's my budget, let's do, let's, let's take, let's pull down from the internet what the internet thinks I should save and spend. That's not going to solve for what is really important to me. Like mm -hmm. I really need to go from, from back forward and then say, okay, well, if I want to uh, work this amount of hours mm -hmm. or if I, I mean, it, I think it could also be, I want to. Uh, own a rental house one day, mm -hmm. or I want to, yeah, I want to have multiple streams of income. Mm -hmm. That's important to me. Yeah. I don't want to be dependent on this high uh, pressure job. Mm -hmm. That's exhausting. I don't know if that sounds familiar to anybody, but <laughs> yeah, I think, Vaguely. I think to be able to, to be able to kind of deconstruct from the end to now, 
that's what should really inform how much we're saving mm-hmm. uh, and then how much we are uh, sp- how much is spoken for for required expenses that we can't easily get out of mm-hmm. and then how much is devoted to uh, expenses that we could change right okay. um, so uh, yeah everybody's waiting for these percentages. Fine. I'll give them. Um, <laughs> Come on. Let's pull the bandaid off. I would say I haven't met somebody yet that doesn't enjoy having flexibility and doesn't enjoy having some dollars set aside where they can make financial moves. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that comes from a high savings rate. Uh, now, uh, let's talk about this, you know, uh, 50, 30, 20 uh, rule where uh, 50% uh, might go toward expenses that I cannot easily get out of. You know, we call those, you know, the housing. Um, I think for a lot of folks, that's like car payments, mm-hmm. uh, you know, utilities. I think for a lot of folks, they need to they need to put in there things like country clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they need to put things in there like uh, private school. Because yeah, I've, I've had clients say, "Well, yeah, you know, we put those in, but we could take them out at any time." That is not true. No, like that is right. your no. that is your community, <laughs> that is your yeah. friends, right? Um, yeah, uh, the private school, like that is what we're yeah. That I've I've had clients have to make that choice, and that is really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, I, I think keeping that to fifty percent uh, of what comes home, um, and then. Uh, and I say what comes home, I mean that like after tax, tax. Mm-hmm. just after tax mm-hmm. um, and then 20% to uh, savings. And I call savings uh, what earns us an investment return. Uh, and that can be tricky uh, because uh, some of that is investment accounts. Uh, some of that can be reduction of debt, but I think of that more like uh, reduction of debt that won't just come back and rear its head again. Mm -hmm. So like if 10% of our dollars are going to investment accounts, retirement accounts, uh, you know, things like that. And then 10% is going to paying down credit card debt. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great investment. You know, if a a credit card's at 25%, that's a great, that's a great way to put dollars uh, to, to sock away dollars because you earn an investment return whenever you retire debt. The caveat to that is if once we we pay that down, it just creeps back up again, right. then that's just really spending, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so it would be like eliminating school debt, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eliminating uh, business debt. You know, those things that are that are one time and once we reduce them, they're gone and we could free up those dollars to go to investment accounts or go mm-hmm. to, yeah, and I call that yeah you know, savings. It could go to a pot of dollars that we are saving to maybe buy a rental property, mm-hmm. or maybe it goes to um, savings that allow us to buy buy more of the practice that we're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that sort of thing. I call that investment, even if it's not, even if it's only earning some interest now. If it's going to go toward an investment that will give us a return on investment, then I call that allocating it to investments. And then this remaining this this thirty percent. Uh, is uh, really toward expenses that could come and go like if we needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's up to, yeah, I mean, this is where these rules of thumbs don't work uh, because, yeah, in our family, doing things like vacation, 
you could say that that's in that 30% discretionary bucket. Mm -hmm. But if we went a stretch of a year and didn't take a vacation, that would be really hard on our family. Like we love our family time. Or like if I put the kids sports in that bucket Mm -hmm. and I said, oh yeah, you know, somebody gets disabled, somebody loses a job. We just won't do that. Right. That doesn't really line up with what our family is about. That should probably go in the required expenses bucket. Uh, Yes. Yeah. We can put dining out in this 30%. Yeah. We can put Netflix in that 30%. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how I like to have folks uh, think about that. But uh, I mean, I think if anybody just said, well, great, we'll just do 50, 30, 20 and hope it gets us what we want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're doing, you're probably doing better than having no plan. Yeah. uh, Certainly. But um, but it is not as good as is having that back end driven uh, plan. So when you say a plan, I, I know you know this, but just kind of because people consuming the podcast are going to be on very different ranges of the spectrum of of, of financial literacy and um experience and experiences based on where they are. We'll have people that are, you know, literally residents and students with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt all the way up to docs who are in their eighties or beyond and maybe still working because, because they love it, but don't have to, or retired. And so with that big, huge scope of individuals, there's a big difference in their financial knowledge. What are your thoughts on the things that someone can do to really try to establish their financial IQ and build their financial IQ so that they can understand when it talks about budgeting, saving, balance sheet, assets, liabilities. I mean, I do, I teach residents this because they just don't get it anywhere in the educational process, but how do you tell your clients and and what do you recommend to those out there who just say, I just don't even know where to start. And when I do start, it's really depressing. I mean, we told you the story many times. I've told it before. I mean, with Renee, Renee, literally, I mean, we needed a drink when we would sit down and start to look at before we read for us, we read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. We read Smart Couples Finish Rich. This is before you and I had ever met. I was a resident at UConn. We had no idea about money. We just, I mean, for me, it was basically make it last till my next student loan check came. Um, Renee was working as an occupational therapist and it was much more of a saver and was really trying to set some financial discipline in our relationship of how we would look at money. And it was really a challenge. And that, that emotional side, I get it when people talk about coming at it from very different points of view. And now we're looking at, well, we're going to make go out and start a practice and want to get a house and have a family. And so we looked at it and we're like, we have no money. We have nothing. What do we do? How do we even begin to do this? So uh, what we, in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series, they talk about uh, understanding your financial report card, which is your balance sheet, which is your assets and liabilities and income and expenses. And when you start doing this, where we were in our lives, you know, the, <laughs> that scale is tipped in a way that is really yeah. not pretty. Yeah. Start off with the negative on, on, that, on that number. Right? Yeah. A lot of red <laughs> numbers. And it's really, you know, your asset columns blank, literally. And, you know, thankfully we didn't have outside of student debt, which we had a good amount of, we didn't have a ton of, we never were big credit card uh, debt people. And we were pretty responsible that way, but we, we had liabilities and no assets to offset them. And then on the expense and income side, I mean, I was a resident. We weren't getting paid at UConn to be residents. We had to pay for our master's. She was working in a school district. So, you know, I picked up another job going and moonlighting and driving back to New York to work my family's dental practice. She was picking up home care. So we were trying to drive that income number up. 
but it just seemed hard to get it too high above those expenses. So what do you say to people to help them understand, number one, because I really do believe that us doing that set the foundation for our entire financial future going forward, as humbling and as awful as it was. And I remember there's a it was a time the residents were going out and we lived in this really interesting apartment complex in New Britain, Connecticut. And there was always noises and kind of hooting and hollering outside. And so we hear these noises and we look out and we're sitting there at our little computer doing our, our balance sheet. And it's Friday night or Saturday night. And the residents, group residents was going out and they knew where our room was. They saw the lights, they're hollering up to me. Come on out, come on out. I'm like, no, we're, we're, we're good. We're, we're working on some things. And, uh, you know, it was not exactly the most enjoyable uh, thing to be doing, but I really do feel that that now lets us do a lot of enjoyable things. So what is your advice to, to people who are out there who just don't know where to begin to do this or those who have been out there for a while, maybe even retired and really don't even understand their finances? How do you navigate that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm biased, but uh, I do think having someone that uh, that you can talk to about it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, finding that right person that will uphold what is important to you mm-hmm. and make that flesh out in a financial plan makes sense. Okay. Uh, even for you know, uh, residents, there's some great you know, resources out there where there are some you know, flat fee, uh, you know, one-time plan advisors out there, financial planners. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great group called XY Planning Network uh, that is a you know, loose affiliation of some folks that are fee only and they're fiduciaries and they, you know, a lot of them do, you know, just hourly plans for folks. And that is a one-time plan that kind of sets the course, you know, maybe for the next year, Mm -hmm. but that is better than nothing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they don't necessarily need or can't afford this ongoing planning, Mm -hmm. but having someone to say, here's where you are now, here's a rough idea of where you want to go. Mm -hmm. Here are the three biggest things that you can work on right now. Mm-hmm. You know, let's don't get a list of 20. It yep. just you know, makes us, you know, curl into the fetal position somewhere. Right. Like here are the next three things. We can do this with student debt. We can you know, do this with your retirement account. You can do this with your consumer debt. Mm-hmm. Bam. Like that's all you're going to work on. And that's what you're going to work on for the next six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think having some of this in digestible you know, uh, uh, bites. I think that's huge. Can be really helpful for yeah. folks. You know what? Uh, there's a great. Yeah, you know, we'll, we'll uh, put it on the screen. But there's a great um, image by uh, uh, an advisor at slash artist where he draws these two. You know, Venn diagram. These two circles of a Venn diagram, and on one side it is things that matter, and on the other side it is things I can control. And in this overlap, it is what I try to focus on. Mm-hmm. And I think so often we kind of get out and we spin out into things that matter, but I can't control them. Mm-hmm. Things that I can control, but they don't matter. Mm-hmm. Or you know, things outside of either of those. Right. You know, things that don't matter and I can't control them, but we spend our time spending on those things. Yeah. I think if we can spend more of our time in that overlap of what can I control and what matters. So yeah, in terms of resources, um, I haven't found a, a better book for, uh, I mean, I think it's helpful. I've given it to retirees with you know, plenty of dollars and it has still been helpful for them, but it's uh, Psychology of Money mm-hmm. by uh, Morgan Housel. I've got the show notes too. 
there is a lot of uh, you know what what we taught. It, I kind of say it's the book I wish I could have written, uh, but you know it talks a lot about the behavioral side of things. It's not hey you should put this much in your four hundred one k or anything like that, but it's really helping folks think about what is really important to them. How should they think about money? How should they think about the power of compounding? Uh, but that is a great resource uh, to start with. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't ran in, ran across anybody that hasn't enjoyed uh, reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then yeah, from there, yeah, let's take our bite-sized um, chunks away. At what can we work on? What's within our control? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah, I do think it is helpful for folks to know their net worth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one part of it that doesn't get enough credit is the present value of all of my expected future earnings. Can you explain that a little and, more? Yeah. So what that means is, yeah, I had a, I had a decision uh, when I came into the uh, business, do I go and get my chartered financial analyst designation? Do I go and get my CFP? And I spent a whole lot of you know, springtimes for three years, having to take you know, an annual exam every three years for the CFA designation. And I gave up a lot of time, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I probably turned down some clients that I could have worked with, but I just needed this time to study. It's the same reason anybody, you know, goes goes to school, right? Because mm-hmm. I am spending this time in hopes of having a career that is beneficial, uh, you know, to my bottom line, mm-hmm. but also that I enjoy, uh, I think sometimes we have folks that don't pay attention to that. I mean, but frankly, I think that also goes in how we're spending our time uh, while we're working. I have a lot of clients that, you know, they might work, you know, six six in the morning to eight at night and, you know, their families forget what they look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're doing that because they say, well, you know, this, this is important. You know, saving up these dollars is important they might be saving more than they actually need to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, what they're not going to get back is time with folks that they really love. Uh, You know, spending time there uh, is an investment also. Uh, And so, yes, I do think, you know, laying out assets and liabilities on a balance sheet uh, is important. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that be a daily uh, practice. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's healthy. You know, looking at that once a year, twice a year mm-hmm. uh, can be helpful. You know, it's funny um, with this you know crazy real estate market. Uh, I usually don't necessarily put uh, house equity on there unless we know we're going to sell a house. Mm-hmm. You know, right. a 65 year old that says I'm going to live in my house for the rest of my life and I'm never going to sell it and I'm never going to take the equity out of it. Like I'm not mm-hmm. going to get a reverse mortgage or something. I don't even need to put that on somebody's net worth statement mm-hmm. because it's you know one of these things that uh, one I can't control and and two it doesn't matter right? right and so yes you can put that on there yeah you know, maybe it makes you feel good right when somebody right. tells you it's worth more but it's right. it's not accretive to your plan right uh, you know I don't uh, I've had a couple of clients not appreciate that I don't put their boats on their net worth statement <laughs> um, but I say that's not that's not an asset uh, you're just going to use it as a down payment on the next boat. Right. And then you're going to use that as a down payment on the next boat. Yep. It's never going to be accretive to your plan. You're never going to sell it. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think I would encourage you. Yeah. The balance sheet captures a point in time. Uh, 
But I think some of what, you know, if we're looking at that overlap of what matters and what we can control, Mm -hmm. I would really encourage folks to, you know, if we know our plan and we know what it's going to take to get there, then let's really spend time focusing on our contributions to retirement accounts or to savings accounts. Like that's within our control and it matters. Yep. Yeah, more than what what the market fluctuation what market fluctuation happens like that is outside of our control, uh, and it does matter, but it's mm-hmm. outside of our control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yes, we we need to pay attention to it. But if we're really looking at like where do we focus our efforts and our attention and yeah, you know, our, our kind of emotional well, it is on the contributions. I would say it'd be on things like asset allocation, you know, how much stocks and how much bonds you do get a control of that. Now we can't control what happens mm-hmm. with stocks or bonds, but we can control how much we have, uh, you know, what type of investments you have. Again, that's an unknown future. So we don't know what's going to happen. We know what's happened in the past and maybe we can uh, think that that'll happen again in the future at some mm-hmm. point. Um, we can control uh, to some extent, how we're doing our tax planning, our tax mm-hmm. optimization. You know, you've talked with John and he's a great resource on, you know, some of those things. We can control estate planning. And so while we want to monitor, you know, keep a tab on that balance sheet for some reference, you know, see how we're progressing. Mm-hmm. I think really checking in on these things we can control that matter. Mm-hmm. That's where I would want us to have more of an eye on and, and maybe take that temperature more frequently mm-hmm. than the balance sheet. And would you say kind of just to bring it all together to wrap up this first part of our two-part series here, taking all that emotional yep. side that we've gone through and the different philosophical, behavioral challenges that exist Um how we approach this with our significant others and loved ones. Are there constants? Are there themes that you see in your clients that lead them? And and it's hard to define. I don't want to find that success or happiness because those are relative terms, but we all, I think can identify. And and I think we all know when someone is more comfortable financially later in their life and has had a good relationship with their family, are there constants that you see in these individuals that you could highlight or you know you, you said you want people you ask people well who who do you I want a name you know, not that you give me a name uh but but you uh you want people to kind of visualize well this person is someone I look at um if you could pick that person or those people what are some of the traits that they have yeah 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 I kind of say uh you know my terminology is if if somebody walked in that didn't know what to do with their money and their time mm-hmm. and uh, they just made me uh, make those decisions for them in a way that I thought would optimize their happiness or contentment, mm-hmm. um, I would write a prescription uh, for them to set up their lives in a way where they can be generous mm-hmm. with their time and with their money mm-hmm. uh, and flexible with their choices, you know, how they spend their time and how mm-hmm. they spend their money, that they that they have maximum flexibility. Uh, and yeah, that they spend their time and money on you know, people and things that they are passionate about. And sometimes that is family members. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that is someone on the other side of the world that I want to give money to where I can make a difference in their lives. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and so, yeah, if we can set up our, yeah, often, yeah, I like, I like things. Sure. Uh, yeah. I like, um, I like a truck, you know, I like, mm. uh, you know, we have a little camper. I like my camper. Mm. Like those, you know, that camper isn't, uh, isn't a thing. Again, it's a, it's a mode of family time. Right. You know, during COVID we, we did six or seven camping trips and that was, you know, one of my favorite memories, you know, the last, you know, four years mm. was those trips together. And so, you know, if I could have this constant to say, I want, I want clients I think they will tend to be happiest, most content if they arrange their lives where they have flexibility, where they could change jobs, mm -hmm. uh, where they could be available to people that need them, mm -hmm. uh, where they could be generous, where they'd be generous with their time, generous with their money. Maybe that means being generous as in I have the ability to pay for the meal plan at Disney. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, I think your definition of generosity and flexibility um, is really, again, up to you. Like mm -hmm. having a definition um, of why, like why is money important to me? That's the first question typically that we ask folks when they come in uh, as prospective clients. Uh, say, mm -hmm. you know, what, what about money is important to you or you want to be important to mm -hmm. you? Like what can it do for you uh, that is important to you? And that is a subjective answer and should be different, but we need to you know, lay it out and write it out on paper. And that can also change over time. Mm -hmm. uh, and just recognizing that you know, this, this money is a renewable resource where you, know, you, can't, you, know, <laughs> you can't spend it, really. You can really just invest it. You're investing it in people. You're investing it in time. You're investing it. Uh, in your choices. And so like to have folks driven from that, from that side to say, like, I can't just, I think is a, a fruitless exercise to set up your investment plan just to have more dollars or just to have a certain dollar amount and not know the why. Just because, right. Because I see you know, a diverging, uh, you know, we put some charts and we can, we can put them up here, but we put some charts in a recent market commentary about you know, folks often uh, have this idea for if I have this amount of money or this standard of living, it's going to be enough. And so I can't wait till I get there. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But what happens is often that standard of living is just an also upward sloping line that yep. we really never get to. You know, so yep. I think it's JP Morgan. You know, somebody asked him, you know, uh, uh, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I think that's. Yep. Yep. I think that's the principle. But like, I think if we can quantify it and say, well, enough is this many days and this many vacations mm -hmm. and you know, this, this many dollars to be able to impact the charities that I am passionate about. Like if we can name what's important to us, then we can actually get to an, right. enough. And I think that enough is what I really want. Like that's where our clients have that sense of contentment is either when they have enough or they know they are you know very likely on the path to enough like we don't need to be there at 25 you know i think you know some of this like fire movement this you know financially independent retire early movement is like i need to get to this enough right now 
Mm-hmm. I think it is okay to be on that path to enough, but like, let's make sure that we have an actual ceiling on that enough. And that it's not just this ever out of, you know, always out of reach, uh, nebulous, dollar amount or, you know, something like that, that, I mean, it's just going to inflate. Uh, so, you know, I like to put it in terms of how do we spend our time? What are we doing with it? Who are we with? You know, like those sort of, that's why that emotional behavioral side is so important uh, on all of this. Well, that that's awesome. And that I know is something that I've seen in people who I admire where they've reached and the points of success they've reached and been able to attain. Um, and, it's also amazing how uncommon that is. Um, it, it's it really the older I get, the more you meet, interact with people uh, of a retirement age, especially now I'm down in Naples, you, you meet a lot more of them. Um, but it's still it's it's hard. It's hard to know how much time you devote, how many hours you should work, how fast you should get there. Again, that fire mentality, you know, how quickly can I get there? Well, okay, but if you burn yourself out and everyone else around you, I mean, did you? Is that really the best thing? So um, that's great advice and really something I hope people can kind of hear and process and, and take to heart that there's really not one size fits all approach to investing, to having and finding a financial advisor, to what you do with your money, your time. It really is individualized. And the key is that you take the time to build that vision, develop what matters to you and your family, especially your significant other work with and find somebody who can help you on that vision. Uh, and and I really hope that I know that what you have said and what you've explained is going to help so many people out there to be able to just think differently about it. And that's what I really appreciate about your perspective is it's, you, know, you can easily come on and say, oh, this is what you should do and you need to, but it, I think one of the reasons I've valued, and I know one of the reasons I valued working with you all these years and Renee as well is because you have that perspective of, wait a minute, this is real life stuff, right? I, like you said, with the meal plan, I get it, right? It, it might, it might, you might be paying a little more for this, but if you value that and it's going to make you that dad that you want to be with your kids, well, at the end, and you use the, the phrase a lot with us on different things like that, like it, it's a rounding error, right? Like, like, you know, at the end of the day, are you ever going to remember that extra hundred or 200 bucks? Probably not, but you're going to remember when you look at those pictures or watch those videos, like, man, that was a great trip. You know, man, that was a great time. Uh, with family. And, and you may not even down the road remember why, but you would probably remember when it wasn't going well and and uh, have a different view of it. So I appreciate it very much. I'm excited. Next time we're going to get into a little more, get a little more granular, start talking about strategies, ways people can start to think about how to actually approach the X's and O's of this um, and start to formulate their own plan for what they want to try to do and, and what to do when they have some money and they have money coming in, uh, what some of the things that you recommend and see as as, as uh, vehicles they can can utilize for that to create that wealth to be able to eventually really uh, reach that point of financial independence. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, thanks so much again. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll pick up next time on the next one. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care, Justin. Thank you for watching this episode of the Doc Podcast. Be sure to visit theorthocoach.com to get access to CE courses or schedule a private one-on-one coaching session with me. And remember to join the doc community on Locals for more great content designed to help you succeed both personally and professionally. Just go to Locals and search for the doc community. You can also find doc on Instagram at at theorthocoach. And remember, you have the power to do amazing things.